hard to believe that uh, it's seven years from when um, my wife and I walked out of a back classroom at Grace Community Church. Uh, seven years has passed August, and I looked over, and my wife had tears rolling down her face, and I said, honey, why are you crying? And she said, because I think we're supposed to move up here and help these people. And I said, I think we are too. And then uh, that brings us all the way to today and so many great memories, several of which are, are up there and so many more that aren't. I want to um, share with you this morning, though, a passage of Scripture. I, this is actually uh, message number two. I had one done on Monday and I threw it away because I felt like God was saying to talk about something else. And we could spend a lot of time telling jokes and stories and sharing memories. But I feel like uh, the Lord has something specific to say through me. Uh, as he has said it to me over the last several months. And so um, I spent a lot of time uh, with this passage of Scripture I'm going to share this morning on my sabbatical. And I'm sure I'd read these verses before because when I turned to it in my Bible, it was highlighted. But I don't remember when I highlighted it, and I certainly don't remember uh, giving these verses any, any thought since. But on sabbatical, they kept coming up. And uh, I had planned on going camping as a kickoff to my sabbatical. And as I got ready to go... Uh, I walked past our desk that's in our, our bedroom, and I noticed that my wife had printed off the, the most recent book that a friend of hers had written, and she proofreads these books for her friend. And on the cover was this passage, Second Peter 1, uh, a portion of Second Peter 1, I should say. And so I just, I quickly, I glanced over it, and I thought, you know, I don't remember spending much time in Second Peter 1. I think I'm going to look at that on my sabbatical. And then didn't think much, much else about it. I kissed my wife and kids goodbye. I got in my van, and I headed towards Newcastle, Indiana. And uh, as I usually do when I drive, I decided to listen to a podcast uh, of one of my favorite pastors. And so I just randomly picked one, and here's how he started. He said, let's stand together for the reading of the word of the Lord. Uh, let's turn together to Second Peter chapter 1. And uh, I thought, okay, God, you've got my attention. And it was a, a four-part series on sabbatical. I listened to all of it and um, studied those scriptures that first week. And then the next weekend, we were in Michigan with our friends, the Weathertons, and just in, in sitting around casual conversation and sharing our testimonies with one another, uh, Crystal Weatherton shared that a lot of her testimony is based out of the truth of Second Peter chapter 1. And so there it was again. The next weekend, um, Beth Ann's dad is a pastor, and we went to his church, and he was teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. And part of his message was based out of Second Peter chapter 1. I read two books on sabbatical. The first was The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan, and uh, the opening paragraph of The Rest of God is Second Peter chapter 1. And then I read a book called Real Church by Larry Crabb, the, the last couple weeks of sabbatical, and chapter 19 of Real Church focuses on Second Peter chapter 1. Well, maybe you believe in coincidences, but I believe uh, God was trying to get my attention with these verses, and I want to talk to you this morning about what I've been learning. Before I do that, though, I, I want to share with you a quote from a book by Mark Buchanan titled Hidden in Plain Sight, and he says this. He says, as a pastor, my greatest occupational hazard is speaking of things I know nothing about. I have a friend, also a pastor, who calls it trafficking and unfelt truth, commending to others a life we've never lived, posing as tour guides to territory on which we've never set foot. You know, one of the things that I love about Paul Mumaw is I get to see the way that he lives his life throughout the week. And uh, he is not a pastor who traffics in unfelt truth. And I don't want to be that this morning either. I want you to know that the things that I'll talk about this morning are things that God has been dealing with me on and things that his spirit has convicted me of. 
And maybe God wants to do the same in your life this morning. So let's read it together. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to 2 Peter. It's chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And uh, if you don't have a, a Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen. But it says this. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through this book. God, I pray uh, you would open our eyes to your truth this morning. God, I pray that you would speak your truth through me. I don't want to say anything that isn't true this morning, God. Let my words be from you. Holy Spirit, convict us of where our lives are not lining up with your word and give us the courage to change. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So this passage is written by Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples who was with Jesus uh, during his time on earth. It's the same Peter who got out of the boat when he saw Jesus walking on the water. And, uh, and he started walking towards Jesus, but quickly got distracted by the waves around him and started to sink. It's the same Peter who, when Jesus was being arrested in the garden, drew his sword and cut off one of the officer's ears. It's the same Peter who denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And yet it's also the same Peter of whom Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. So this is the guy who Jesus trusts with establishing his church on earth. But look at how Peter introduces himself in verse 1. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He doesn't flaunt his status. He doesn't walk around saying, hey, I don't know if you know or not, but I'm kind of a big deal. I'm the rock. I hung out with Jesus while he was here. No, he says, listen, I'm a servant. That's my main identity because Peter understands that the the, the call to follow Christ is a call to serve. Philippians 2.5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And I wonder, when people think of you, when people think of me, is that the first thing that comes to their mind? And that guy is a servant. Or that lady, she is a servant. Is your attitude the same as Christ? It's supposed to be our identity. And then Peter goes on to tell us who it is he's writing to. Uh, The second part of verse 1, he says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. 
And here's what we have to understand this morning. Peter makes no distinction between himself and the faith that he has and the faith of every other believer who will read this letter. He makes no claim that his faith is more genuine or superior. But we think that way, don't we? I mean, I've heard so many people say, well, I'm not as holy as she is, or I don't have as much faith as that guy. And we hold people up on a level that we perceive as unattainable. But according to Peter, that's wrong. And here's why. This verse says that it's through the righteousness of God that we've received this faith. So my faith doesn't come from me as if it's something that I produce, but it comes through God's righteousness. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and we accept him, there's something that happens there. There's an exchange that takes place. Christ gets our sin and we get his righteousness. That's why Peter can use this, this phrase, a faith as precious as ours, because his faith isn't the result of something he did. It's not something he earned. It's a gift from God. And the same faith, that same faith is available to you and me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have a faith as valuable as the Apostle Peter? It's right here in God's word, and we need to stop living as if there's some level of faith that's just unattainable. It's not biblical, and it's not true. Verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How many of you feel like you're just living with an abundance of grace and peace? I mean, when you lay your head on your pillow at night, do you just have this deep sense of grace and peace, just complete fulfillment? Does that even seem like a reality to you? Peter tells us right here the secret to living this way. He says that grace and peace come through the knowledge of God. Now, this word that he uses for knowledge in the Greek, the root word is gnosis. Everybody say gnosis. Awesome. You're Greek scholars. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't read Greek, and I don't want to pretend to be smarter than I am. I paid uh, way too little attention in Greek class and more attention to a girl on campus named Beth Ann Puckett. Uh, but the truth is, um, my dad, who is also a pastor, helped me understand this word and its significance. And what Peter does is he takes this word gnosis that we translate as knowledge, and he adds the prefix epi in front of it. And so the word um, that he uses is epigenosis. And it's like taking a Sharpie marker and underlining this word or writing it in bold print. It's epigenosis. Now, epigenosis is not just knowing facts about God because you can know a lot of facts about God and still lack grace and peace in your life. Now, this word means much more than that. Epigenosis is fully knowing. It's intimacy. It's relationship. It's knowing God like you know your spouse or your closest friend. And Peter says that when we pursue this kind of relationship with God, that grace and peace will be ours in abundance. So how are you doing with knowing God? Do you have epigenosis of God, or do you just know a lot of facts about him? You know, some of us, um, we've grown up in the church our whole lives, and we have a lot of head knowledge about God. But head knowledge about God is not the same as intimacy with him. And Peter says that grace and peace will be ours not through head knowledge, but through the full knowledge, through the intimacy of God. It's epigenosis. Reading on, verse 3, says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness 
through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And so Peter says that our knowledge of God, it doesn't just produce grace and peace, but that through our knowledge, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now think about that for a minute. You have everything you need for life and godliness. I don't know if we really get that, that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, that he puts his spirit in us and gives us the power we need to overcome temptation, to overcome addiction, to overcome sin in our lives. That's the power that's made available to us. We have everything we need. So why is it that we spend so much time looking for something else to fill us up? Something else to give our lives meaning, something else to give our lives purpose. Peter says if you're pursuing anything other than intimacy with God, it's fruitless. He's already given you everything you need. And he goes on to say in verse 4, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So he says the point of all of this is that now you have the ability through your knowledge of God and by his spirit in you to live differently. That's what it means to participate in the divine nature. You have the power to escape corruption. You don't have to be a slave to evil desires. You can look different. You can live like Christ. That's the power we've been given. Now, these first four verses deal primarily with what Christ has done for us and through us. And now Peter shifts a little bit, and he is going to talk now about what it is that Christ is calling us to. And he starts like this in verse 5. He says, For this very reason, make every effort. Peter says, make every effort. Now, I want you to think seriously for a minute. In your life, what are you pursuing the hardest? What's consuming your efforts? Peter says, for this very reason. So he's saying, to escape corruption caused by evil desires, to know God more completely, that there are some specific things that we should put our efforts toward. This isn't meant to be an exhaustive list, but he says, make every effort to add these things. Not, well, these would be good things to try and incorporate if you want to or if you feel like it. No, but rather that this is everything right here, that all of our energy, all of our efforts should be focused on developing these things. It's like what Paul says in Philippians 1.21, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That everything I'm about and everything I do and say, every effort is toward Christ. So let's look at this list. And you know, it's easy when we see a list like this in scripture to just fly through it and just get to the end. But I want to I take a minute here. I want to really look at what Peter is calling us to. And so 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And so it starts with faith. We have to start with faith. Otherwise, this could all lead towards salvation based on our works, as if we could do enough or be good enough to earn our way into heaven. But Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. So this salvation, this faith, it's not ours, it's a gift. But it doesn't end with faith alone. Peter says, add to your faith goodness. And this word goodness that he uses, this is virtue. Okay, it it could be excellence. It's living your life in a manner that's worthy of praise. And so when you think about your life, when you think about uh, the things that, that you do, the things that you say, Would you say that you are living 
uh, excellently? Would you say that, that you participate in things that are worthy of praise? He's calling us to add goodness. And then he says, and add to your goodness, knowledge. And knowledge, again, this is word gnosis. It's more than facts. It's intimacy and it's relationship. It's, it's knowing God. And one of the primary ways that we know God is through knowing his word. Okay, and again, it's not just learning facts. It's the internalization of facts. And then it's the incarnation of those facts in the way that you live your life. So how are you doing with knowing God? How are you doing with knowing his word? And then he says, into knowledge, add self-control. And self-control, this is the ability to master your desires. And we all have desires. Uh, several of them are God-given desires. I have a desire to eat. I have a desire to sleep. I have a desire to have sex. And there's nothing wrong with these things, but we're to engage in them according to God's word and not to be mastered by them. How are you doing with self-control? And he says, add to self-control, perseverance. And this word perseverance, it could be also translated as steadfastness or endurance. It's this quality of no matter what comes, I'm going to stay the course. Are you a person who displays perseverance? And he says, and add to your perseverance, godliness. And this word godliness, it goes towards being devout or being devoted to God. It's a reverence or a respect towards God. And to godliness, he says, uh, brotherly kindness. And the Greek word here is literally Philadelphia. It's the exact same, same word uh, that we use for the city of brotherly love. That's what it means. It's brotherly love or brotherly kindness. And this is genuine affection for people. It's caring for others above and beyond yourself. And then he says, add to godliness brotherly kindness. I'm sorry, we just did that one, didn't we? I've only preached two other times in my whole life, so it's okay. He says, and to brotherly kindness love. And in the Greek, um, there are three words that are used for love. There's a, um, a video that Rob Bell put out in his NUMA series where he talks about this. And he talks about how in the English language, it can be so confusing because the only word we have is love. And so we can say, I love tacos, but I also love my wife. And those two things don't seem to, that shouldn't be the same word. But in the Greek, there's actually three words for love. The first uh, we just looked at, it's, it's Philadelphia, or the root of that word is phileo. That's the brotherly love. The second is eros, and it's where we get the word erotic. And this is sensual or sexual love. And then the third is agape. And agape is the term that's used here in this verse. And agape is the love that God has for us. It's self-sacrificing. It's the love that says, I would do anything for you. I would give my very life for you. How are you doing with showing agape love? Are these qualities familiar to you? Do you see them alive and well in your day-to-day -day life? Because Peter goes on to say, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge or in your epigenosis of our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, in increasing measure, is so important here because all of us can find someone who is worse than we are at all of these things, right? It's easy to say, man, I am so much more loving than she is. Have you seen the way that she talks to her kids? Or I have so much more self-control than he does. Do you know what he looks at on the internet? 
or I have so much more knowledge than they do. And when we compare ourselves with the people around us, we can come out looking pretty good and we can become complacent with where we are. But compare yourself with Almighty God and I guarantee you'll feel differently. The point is it doesn't matter how much you have in relation to someone else. These qualities are supposed to be increasing in measure in your life. Are you showing more self-control today than you did yesterday? Do you love more deeply now than you did a year ago? Do you have a better understanding of who God is and who he's calling you to be than you did when you first accepted Christ? Are these things increasing in measure? Because Peter says if they are increasing in measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge and your intimacy with Jesus Christ. And isn't that what everyone wants? I mean, nobody wants to live an ineffective life, right? Nobody wants to be unproductive. So let me ask you again, what are you making effort toward? I mean, really think about that for a minute. What is it that's consuming your efforts? Is it the pursuit of stuff? Do you feel a need to buy more things to fill you up? Maybe it's the pursuit of status. Like if I can just make one more business deal, then then I'll feel productive. Then I'll feel effective. Or maybe it's the pursuit of a relationship. If I could just find the right guy or if I could find the right girl, then that, that would do it. What are you making every effort toward? And in your pursuit of those things, do you ever really feel more effective or productive or do they just leave you wanting more? If you feel far from God this morning, if you're lacking grace and peace in your life, if you feel ineffective and unproductive, I would simply ask you, what are you making effort toward? And when it comes down to it, is doing what you want to do more important than being who God wants you to be? On my sabbatical, uh, one of the things that I was confronted with was this lack of effort in my own life. And I realized I had become very casual in the way that I approached God. I was in a pattern of coming home from work and just wanting some mindless activity. And so uh, I would I'd jump on Facebook and I'd see what all of you guys had, had done that day. And um, I would jump on Craigslist and see what kind of a ridiculous deal I could get on a new guitar. Or I'd sit down in front of my TV and just spend the whole night pursuing mindless activity. And then I heard this quote from Pastor John Piper, and I want you to listen to what he said. He says, I am convinced that one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove on the last day that our prayerlessness was not from lack of time. That's heavy. Let me read that again. He says, I am convinced that one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove on the last day that our prayerlessness was not from lack of time. It's Pastor John Piper. And man, that just nailed me. I mean, if somebody were keeping track of all the hours I had spent in front of my computer face, uh, surfing Facebook and Craigslist and watching Lost, which was a complete waste of six years of my life, uh, I would be, I'd just be so embarrassed to see that. So you know what? We made some changes in our home. Beth and I both, um, we shut down Facebook. Not because Facebook is bad, but because it was consuming time. It was taking time away from more important things. And we shut our TV off because we were both just convinced that our time and effort could be spent in better ways. And we're not legalistic about it. Some of you know I've turned my Facebook back on to help sell our home. 
And if there's a Colts game on, I might turn the TV on and watch it. But the question was, what am I making effort toward? And the question I would pose to you this morning is this. What patterns and habits in your life are stealing the effort that you could be putting towards knowing God more deeply? Look at what Peter says in verse 9. He says, but if anyone does not have these qualities, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sin. So Peter says, if you don't have these qualities in your life, if you're not making every effort towards them, it's like you're nearsighted or it's like you're blind. You can't see anything but what's right in front of you. So when temptation comes your way, you have no perseverance in your life. You have no self-control. You have no knowledge of God or his word. All you can see is instant gratification. You can't see the results of your actions or how this is going to make your wife feel tomorrow. And you can't see eternity. I mean, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. He's saying heaven is going to be so good, but you, you've never seen or heard or thought of anything that's even close to it. But Peter says without possessing these qualities, you can't see that. All you can see is pleasure now, satisfaction now. And he says you're nearsighted and you're blind. That's why he's calling us to make every effort so that when temptation comes and when evil desires come, that we will see them for what they are. We'll have steadfastness to stand up under them. We'll have self-control to not be mastered by them. We'll have goodness in our hearts and recognize sin for what it is. Verse 10, he says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you do these things, you will never fall. Now, this is God's word. This is truth. And it's telling us that if we do these things, we will never fall. How can this be? Because no one is perfect. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only person to ever walk this earth and lead a completely blameless life was Jesus Christ himself. But think about what Peter's saying here. That if we are truly making every effort towards intimacy with God, if we're making every effort towards seeing these qualities increase in measure, if every effort is going towards these things, where is there room to fall? That's why this is so important. It can't be optional. It's, just, it's not just making some effort It's our whole focus. It's our whole purpose to make every effort. And the promise is this. If you do these things, you will never fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, there's going to come a day when we will all stand before God. And by all, I don't mean collectively. I don't think it will be you and your friends. I don't think it will be me and my spouse. I think it will be me and God. I think it will be you and God. And in that moment, you'll have to give an account of how you lived your life on this earth. Did you know Jesus? Did you make every effort? And Matthew chapter 5 tells us that in that moment, we'll hear God say one of two things. He'll either say, well done, or he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never gnoscoed you. And I ask you in that moment, what else is going to matter? 
That's why Jesus says in Luke 13, 24, he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. In that moment, standing before an almighty, holy God, there's only going to be one thing that matters, knowing Jesus and making every effort. When my oldest daughter, Kate, was four or five years old, we took a trip uh, to Bethany's mom and dad's house, and her parents are avid cyclists. They ride a tandem bike all over the U.S., and in the off-season, they set their bike up in a back room in their house on a trainer so that they can stay in shape. And so on this particular weekend, uh, we left the kids in the house to play. Bethany Ann's sister was there to kind of keep an eye on them. And we headed out to the studio to get some new pictures taken. We had been out there for a little while. And all of a sudden, Beth's sister burst into the studio. And in a panic, she yelled, Kate's hand is stuck in the gears. Now, in that moment, everything started moving in slow motion for me. And I just had this vivid picture in my mind of my little girl in the house, alone, scared, hurt, and trapped. And it was like I instantly went into rescuing dad mode, okay? If you're a father, you know what I mean. I was the last one out of the door of that studio, but something came over me, and I just took off running. And I was like a cheetah, okay? I was moving. And I just remember flying past everyone. And if I had been running the mini that day, the Kenyans wouldn't have had a chance. I was moving. And I got to that back door. I threw it open, and I cleared about five steps in one leap. I landed next to my little girl. I yanked the chain off of that gear, and I scooped her up in my arms. And I said, Daddy's here. It's going to be okay. I've got you. And she just sunk into me. What kind of father would I be if I didn't respond that way? I mean, what kind of dad would I be if I didn't run to my kids when they were in trouble? People, God has done the same thing for us. The difference is he told us not to put our hand into the things that he knew would bring us pain and suffering and death. And we did it anyway. And God didn't have to respond. He didn't have to rescue us, but he is a perfect loving father who refused to leave his kids in sin and death. And so God made a way for each one of us to stand confidently before him one day. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, there is great news for you. Your sin has separated you from God, but your hope is this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That through what Jesus did in dying on the cross and rising from the dead, he conquered sin and death and opened the door to a relationship with God. That now through Jesus Christ, we can know God, we can live for him, and one day we can hear those words, well done. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And you can do that this morning. And you know the really crazy part? You can walk in here not knowing anything about God, not knowing anything about his word or his plan for your life, and you can walk out of here with a faith as precious as anyone in this room, with a faith as precious as Peter's, because it's not based on the things you've done. It's the gift of God. It sounds crazy, but it's the truth. And if you're listening to this message and you've entered into a relationship with Christ, but you know 
that you're not making every effort. I just need you to know that one day you'll be accountable for how you lived your life. And you say, well, that's works-based salvation. No, I don't believe that for a minute. That's why Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work on getting salvation, but work out your salvation. It's yours. It's a gift. It was given to you. But we're to work on it. We're to make every effort toward it. And it's time to stop filling our lives with the pursuit of everything else and embrace the grace and peace that only come through knowing God. Allie and the band are going to come up, and in a minute we're going to sing a song that talks about heaven. We're going to talk about God's throne, and it's about his holiness and his power. And as we do that, I want you to think about that moment when these words um, we sing will be the very thing that will be before us. They'll be the very picture that we will see in heaven. That moment when you'll stand before God. I want you to think about, will that be a good thing for you? Is that a moment that you look forward to? I know this probably isn't what you expected from me on my last Sunday, but I have this fear that came up as I was telling my good friend Steve Davis that we are moving to Michigan. And at the end of that conversation, Steve said, Ben, I just don't want to think about that day when we'll pack your moving truck. And I said, you know, Steve, I don't want to think about that either, but I'm glad I get to spend eternity with you. And I know that that probably sounds like the cliche thing to say in a moment like that. But for me, there was great peace. There was great comfort in knowing who Steve Davis is and knowing how he lives his life and knowing that he knows Christ and that one day eternity will be ours together. But here's the fear. Jesus says the door is narrow and that when many will try to enter, they won't be able to. And I can't handle the thought that not everyone in this room will hear those words, well done. And that on that day, standing before God in judgment, you would look at me and you'd say, Ben, you stood on that stage for seven years and you played your guitar and you sang the songs, but you never told me about this. I can't handle the thought of you and eternal separation from God because I didn't say what I was supposed to say. Know God. Make every effort. Let these qualities increase in measure in your life. Receive that rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Let's stand and sing.